I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. So I I have to admit, I'm surprised that the Oilers weren't listed by you before today uh, as you tracked down the uh, top 32 backwards. What the multiverse of, uh, looks like. <laughs> so this is what the multiverse looks like. There and how much has been traded away. Yeah, 25th out of 32 was sort of the the final landing spot for them. I do mention at the very top of their prospect pool ranking before I get into the individual reports on their top 13 prospects, I do mention that I did debate ranking them a little bit lower. Uh, They were in consideration for sort of 26, 27, 28 rather than 25. Uh, Definitely one of the weaker pools in the league. I think had they graduated Dylan Holloway and Philip Broberg, uh, which I think most by now expected that both of those guys would be, if not full-time NHLers, then uh, sort of more established than they have been to this point. Uh, it, had they lost those guys, had they graduated them to sort of full-time NHL status, it would have been a 32 or 31 ranked school in the league, right? So uh, they, they, they benefit a little, ironically, in terms of this countdown. They benefit a little by virtue of actually not having successfully moved those guys along yet. And they're obviously both sort of 21, 22 years old. Uh, the clock is starting to tick on them to make that jump. Uh, you have to be U23 to be eligible for my list, which both of them narrowly are. Um, but it's a, it's a list that after those two guys, there's, there's not a lot coming for the Oilers at the moment. And they've got work to do to sort of rebuild the, rebuild the farm system, if you will. Scott, I know that you don't, you know, specifically tailor your lists for the general manager of each team. It's a list based on talent. But one thing I've noticed about the Ken Holland era is that he, like he talked about over-ripening or slow-playing guys in his first media avail when he came here in 2019, and we really saw it with Evan Bouchard. So mm-hmm. when you're evaluating a player like Bouchard as he developed, and obviously he's an impact player now, but Holloway and Broberg, uh, is it more difficult because they seem to be over-ripening and seem to be behind, even though that may not be the case? Is it more difficult to evaluate them? Yeah, that's certainly a part of the conversation in terms of the different treatment that teams give. Uh, had they been in a different situation, had they not been uh, drafted into an organization that has since become uh, a Stanley Cup contender and that's pushing to put their best lineup on the ice every night, if they were playing in Anaheim or San Jose, would their opportunities look different? The answer is obvious. The answer is clearly yes. Uh, so in that case, they they would have been graduated elsewhere. And we all know uh, the, the the man in charge of the Edmonton Oilers this year, dating back to his Detroit days, certainly in in, in Ken Holland, certainly has a reputation that way. Uh, they, the Red Wings in particular are one of the very first teams to really, really stress taking your time, uh, just not bringing kids along when other teams would have, not, not getting overly excited about your kids, that kind of a thing. Uh, we've seen it play out uh, similarly with Raphael Lavoie as well. Lavoie is not eligible for the list now that he's turned 23. I believe he turned 23 back in September. Uh, so no longer eligible as a prospect, but Oilers fans are starting to get uh, sort of introduced to Raphael at the age of 23 as he's been called up recently and played some games with the NHL club and that kind of a thing. So um, all of that is, is a part of the process with the Oilers and their process maybe looks a little bit different than the processes of, of other teams. And I think that's certainly been a factor for, uh, for Broberg in particular. I think when you have a a sort of long-term plan for these players and you do uh, operate with some of the patients that Ken Holland and company operate with, 
you also have to be careful not to lose these kids, uh, especially if you're a top 10 pick in Broberg's case and uh, you believe, as Broberg does, that you're ready to to make the jump and you're ready to play those minutes. It, it's a it's a balancing act of preaching the long game with them, uh, still getting them opportunities and not losing them in terms of their want and desire to be a part of your organization long term. So uh, obviously, with with Broberg and and talk of trade requests and that kind of thing, maybe that has has happened. Uh, maybe their patience and and also him not coming along maybe as quickly as they would have hoped has has played a part in a little bit of a chasm that's developed between him and the organization. Uh, but that's that's part of the process, both for the Oilers and for Broberg, and they've got to figure out where each side lands in terms of what's next. Sports 1440, Scott Wheeler, our guest from The Athletic, talking about the Edmonton Oilers prospect list, which dropped today uh, and is higher than we thought. I I was so interested. I raced to – I always click on your stuff, and I raced to this one because I wanted to see where you had Xavier Burgo uh, ranked. I love him on the penalty kill. I think he's a very effective power play guy, wonderful passer, uh, and I think he has developed as a two-way player in the AHL. But the even-strength scoring doesn't appear to be there. At least math tells us it isn't. Um, you clearly still like this guy. Uh, what do you like about him? Yeah, I do. I, I've still got a, a belief in, in Xavier that he's going to figure it out and the pieces are going to come together. He's got the frame he's got work to do to get it a little bit stronger and to sort of add some strength over pucks which i think has impacted his ability to play off the cycle and make plays against bigger stronger defensemen at the pro level uh certainly relative to he did to the way that he made plays uh in the sort of final years of his junior career where he was one of the most productive players in the qmjhl um it's been a bit of a tough go for him, uh, not just in terms of getting to the inside and creating looks for himself, but also even his playmaking game, which was such a natural feel for him at lower levels, uh, just hasn't felt and looked as, as easy and comfortable as it did. He looks like he's overthinking it at times. There's been, I think, a bit of a crisis of confidence there at times where he just doesn't look like himself or he's not executing and playing with the confidence that you'd like to see out of a player like that, a first-round pick who's been productive and been a star player all the way up, was early into the QMJHL because of his birthday and played a long time at that level and became a dominant, dominant offensive player at that level, all of those things. Uh, Obviously, as you mentioned, he's got special teams upside on both special teams. There is still real skill there, his ability to handle the puck and playmake and facilitate for his line mates and uh, some, some finesse to his touch and his feel on the puck. Uh, It's just got to become a little bit more consistent and he's got to find ways to do it and to get to the front of the net and to score a little bit more. Uh, He's always going to be able to get his line mates involved, but he needs to not be selfish, but uh, he he needs to look for his own looks and get and find ways to get his own looks a little bit more at that level. So uh, there's still work to be done there. He's got steps that he needs to take. I think I would say that, frankly, about a lot of the Bakersfield Condor uh, forwards, if you will. Players like Carter Savoy haven't really clicked there. They haven't had – Matt Petrov hasn't sort of taken the step yet there. there. There have been a few of their young guys, players who were extremely productive, top of their league, whether Savoy in NCAA, Petrov recently in the OHL. Um, they, they haven't taken the steps that those players who are as productive as they are typically do uh, in the AHL in their first year, two, three years. Uh, so that they've got to figure that out. Maybe a part of that is the way that they're being developed and used by the coaching staff with Bakersfield. 
Maybe a part of it is drafting players whose games don't translate quite as well at the pro level as they did at lower levels. Um, there are there are questions to be asked there, but I do think, at least in Borgo's case, he's the one I'm most confident in. Uh, we'll figure it out. Like he he's going to get there. He's going to be a very productive player at the AHL level. He's going to get a call up someday. I, I still I still really believe in that. I know you considered. You mentioned that you considered Max Warner. Uh, it's a tribute to Oiler fans, even in a year where they're. Uh, parent team is pushing for the cup where they're asking me why does Scott Wheeler hate Max Warner I know you don't but I knew you considered him what what does he need to do maybe to to, uh, profile more as a future NHL player yeah he's a player that I think the Oilers are higher on than I am Um, certainly there was questions of off-ice conduct in his suspension in the WHL a year ago uh, I, I do care about that kind of stuff, and I try to factor it into the way that I evaluate these kids. Uh, beyond that, he's obviously taken a step. They obviously felt confident enough uh, in, in sort of his behavior and his maturity and the way that he'd grown from that experience to sign him, to bring him into their, their organization, um, they, they, to play him with the AHL team as a 20-year-old rookie. Ultimately, at the end of the day, this is still a seventh-round pick. This is still a kid who was a a very good two-way defenseman, uh, and especially defensively in the WHL, but I never would have called him one of the five, ten best defensemen in that league. Uh, Certainly he was relied upon like that. He played big minutes at that level. Uh, This year, in watching him, when I've watched him with Bakersfield, I think he's been fine uh, in terms of managing the defensive assignments. He's a six-foot-three kid. He's, He's worked hard to sort of fill out his frame. He's a good athlete. He skates decently well. Uh, there is some appeal there in terms of the makeup of his game. I don't think there's much offense there. I'm not sure whether he's ever going to be particularly productive, even in the AHL, uh, let alone the NHL. As a result, you're probably looking at a pretty limited sort of number six, number seven, defensively oriented uh, defenseman who can kind of hang at even strength and maybe help out on your second penalty kill. I think that's ultimately the ceiling. For Maximus, uh, certainly that's a feeling that's comparable to some of the players who did make the list. Uh, certainly, if he gets there, he'll end up being a better player uh, than, than many of the players who are on the list because the majority of the kids who did make the 13 players that I decided to list uh, aren't going to make it. Uh, but I do still have, have some question marks about him and his game, and I just wasn't confident enough that he's that the defense will rise above and that he will get uh, get to that sort of depth defenseman role in the NHL. Now, he Wanner is not like the the prototype modern uh, puck moving, good mobility, speed defenseman. Bo Aiki is. He's was injured early in the year and lost the season. But in terms of of potential, he really does have a lot to offer. Fair. Yeah, Bo's a Bo's a really really interesting prospect. It's a bummer that the way this season played out because he had such a good he left such a good first impression on the Oilers. I spoke with the Oilers brass for a story I did on him at the start of this season, and uh, they were really really high on him and the way that he performed not just in his first rookie camp and and sort of uh, rookie tournament. Uh, in Penticton, but also into into his first main camp, hung around a little bit longer than 18-year-old defensemen typically do, got into a game, uh, showed fairly well in that game. All of that was positive. Then he goes back, he gets sick, he blocks a shot, breaks his nose, he blocks a shot off of his ankle, hurts his ankle, and then he's got a season-ending ending, uh, shoulder injury that he's got to deal with. So it's been a, a difficult go for him. And then the lost time does impact a player at that age. When you lose 
three quarters of a season, it's, it is tough to, to bounce back from, but he skates. He's a beautiful, beautiful sort of flowing skater. He's competitive enough. He's got enough size. He's a good athlete. He's a, a very smart defenseman in terms of managing the puck and managing the game. He's very, uh, he does a good job sort of picking his spots on when to attack and when to use his skating. He's really learned to how to balance that better. They've tried to turn him into a really high-end defender because of his skating in Barry, the coaching staff in Barry, uh, and speaking with Marty Williamson in the group there, they've worked very hard on him to to add sort of a high-end defensive element to his game, knowing that even if he's sacrificing a bit of offense at the OHL level, that it'll be better for him in the long term. I think they recognize that he could actually, both last year had Brant Clark not returned, uh, and this year at the start of the year, had he played a bit of a different style, he could have been even more productive than he has been at, at both of those le- sort of levels across the last two seasons. So there's a, there's a lot to like about him. I still think he gets back next year and he puts himself in the conversation uh, for the Canadian World Junior team in Ottawa for the 2025 World Juniors next year. Uh, he won't be a lock to make that team. There are three or four defensemen that you can already pencil into that team, and he's not one of them. But I think there's a really good opportunity that he's a fifth or sixth defenseman on that team if he plays well next fall. So uh, some some good check points for him to – some boxes for him to still check and, and some runway for him to take advantage of. Obviously, the lost season this year is, is really disappointing. But uh, with the skating and the way that he sees and, and understands the game, there might be something there long term. Uh, two more questions. One on the 2024 draft. Oilers likely to pick in the 20s. Oilers fans want him to pick 32, but likely that, that pick will be gone. How deep and good is this draft, and how valuable would that pick be if the Oilers send it away? Well, it, it's hard to measure this draft because last year is always in the back of your head, and last year, 2023 and 2015, really in my 10, 11 years of doing this now, are the two best drafts that I've ever scouted. Uh, so you, you've got that comparison in the back of your head. This draft is not, not 2023, not at the top, and, and certainly not even in the depth as well. So uh, when putting together my list for this year's draft, I've really hit a bit of a wall at about 12 on my list, and then another wall really uh, right early, earlier on in the first round that I'd like it to be in terms of the, the sort of 21, 22 range. The typical draft, there's 24, 25, 26 kids that I'm confident as as first-rounders, maybe never a full 32 that I'm sure about in terms of first round prospects. This draft is an even smaller number than that. Um, so it's, it's not a very deep draft. It is a strong draft. If you're looking for help on the blue line, you're going to see depth on, on defense right through the first two or three rounds of this draft. Uh, I, I suspect that you'll see six defensemen taken in, in that group of 12 that I talked about right at the top of the draft. But even beyond those six defensemen, once those premium guys are gone and teams start to grab forwards, there are going to be other defensemen in this draft that linger, uh, very solid sort of projectable defensemen. Uh, so that that piece of this draft is a strength. I wouldn't say at forward or in net that it's a particularly strong draft, especially once you get past Macklin, Celebrini, Cole Eisenman, and Ivan Demidov, who are kind of the, the three forward prospects at the very top. Uh, certainly the WHL's Caden Lindstrom of Medicine Hat has joined that group. Uh, but it's not uh, not a super, super strong draft for sure at, at forward. Okay, final question. It's not a trick question. The, the proper answer might be, I can't think of any team, but I've always wondered because the, the math, Scott Cullen used to do it, Brian Bader has an item out today. The math is if you're picking top five, chances are you've got a good chance to get a star. 
If you're picking first round, you're going to probably get an NHLer uh, for at least a little bit, but but not necessarily somebody that you'd expect to be in the top, you know, six or top four uh, forward and defense, respectively. Um, and so my question for you is, are there teams who consistently beat the system or is it just luck and randomness that we're looking at over many years? Because I, I feel like it's luck and randomness, but maybe I'm wrong. There are definitely teams that I think do a better job than others. Uh, I think Judd Brackett has done a really nice job in Minnesota since he took over. I think Mike Donaghy, the director of scouting with the Chicago Blackhawks, has done a really good job with the glut of picks that Kyle Davidson has acquired for him over the last couple of years. Uh, I've always sort of drafted uh, fairly close in line with the Los Angeles Kings uh, and the Colorado, or the Carolina Hurricanes in terms of building my team, the Hurricanes, and or my board, if you will. The Hurricanes and the Kings have always sort of lined up closer than most other teams with it, and I think they uh, both could, could be pretty happy about where they've drafted and the picks that they've turned into players relative to where they've picked all of that. Um, so there, there are probably a few teams that come to mind from around the league that I like. Um, uh, I think Philadelphia has mostly done a pretty good job in recent years. Uh, certainly we'll see what happens with Matt Vamichkov, but that could be a, another sort of a notch on their belt as well. Uh, if they can get him over here and convince them and all of that. Uh, but it's, a it's, it's, it's not easy. Uh, even if you do the best job, you're still, uh, the majority of your players that you draft across seven rounds are never going to play a game for you. So if, it's hard to be good at anything in any industry where your batting average is under under 300, under 400. And that's that's the reality of scouting in the NHL is uh, if you draft seven times a year, you're hoping to get two, maybe three players out of that. And that's a really good haul. So um, more often than not, the guy that you think has a chance doesn't have a chance or injuries get in the way or depth within your NHL organization uh, that plays a huge role. I think that there are often players who would succeed uh, in one place and not succeed in the other, just relative to the opportunities that are made available to them. There is such a thing as having too many prospects. I think we've seen that play out with the Los Angeles Kings who a few years ago were drafting 10, 11, 12 players a year, then suddenly had too many prospects who were the sort of similar ages and then you get into a situation where you're trading a Brock Faber or losing a Tobias Bjornfoot to waivers or an Akil Thomas never gets to come up and play for your NHL organization because there are other players who are higher priority. And uh, so there's, there's also just context and luck of the draw in terms of opportunities and the right coach believing in you. And uh, there's so much that goes into a, a, a very good prospect becoming an NHL player. And the reality is that, there are also players, worse players who've become NHLers and better players who don't, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's not a science that way from development on and coaching <laughs> on as well. So uh, there, are, there are layers and steps along the way that can get uh, barriers that can prevent that, present themselves and all of that. It's a, it's a very, very tricky process. And I think in hockey in particular, more than in baseball, where things like launch angle and bat speed and how hard a player throws, more than in the NBA where wingspan, we know what wingspan means for a player's ability to defend and, and challenge shots. Uh, there are real things, even the 40 yard dash for running backs in the NFL. There are real things in the other major pro sports that are tangible, trackable data points for, for clubs to base their decisions on that tend to actually be extremely projectable long-term. And that just does not exist in hockey uh, in any of it doesn't exist in any of the testing that they do. Uh, none of it. So it's 
it's a it's a very being an NHL scout is a very very difficult job. Thanks for this, Scott Wheeler. Appreciate it very much.